Good evening. Uh, my name is Hiro Ikushima. I'm a um, work leader slash guest student manager at the city center of San Francisco Zen Center. Um, and that's one way to identify myself. Um, it's kind of ironic because uh, what I would like to talk about today is exactly identity, who we are and who we are not. And uh, last time I gave a talk, about a couple of months ago, we did the uh, uh, self-inquiry meditation. And I would like to continue on that topic. Um, just to briefly introduce myself, um, I came originally from Japan. I moved to the States uh, 27 years ago. It's been a long time. And um, it's been a long journey. You know, when I say I'm Japanese, people think, oh, I've been practicing for a long time. Actually not. <laughs> well, I started practicing. I didn't meet Zen until um, I was in the States. And when I came to the States, well, I grew up in Japan, uh, watching a lot of American movies and TV shows, and um, I had this imagination that uh, this country is a la-la land. You know, it's a country of freedom. It's a dream country, you know. Um, and um, um, there's so much cultural differences. And I do enjoy this country. And uh, I went to university in a small town in Pennsylvania, uh, studied computer. And, um, you know, in a, a first dot-com bubble, um, I got a job. And then, uh, um, yeah, I moved to Virginia, Richmond, Virginia, and stayed there. Uh, that's where I met Zen. Of course, there's a long story leading up to it. Um, yeah, I believe there are a lot of uh, people who work in the tech field in this crowd, so maybe you can relate to my experience. <laughs> um, well, for me, you know, um, it was a big dream to come to the States and get a job and live. Um, but then slowly I realized that the reality was quite different from what I expected. And, um, and I started questioning, you know. And at one point I felt like uh, things weren't working so well. And, and I started questioning, you know, what's the meaning of life? And um, I started searching and um, seeking. So that is my way seeking mind. And uh, uh, I tried a few different traditions, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, some New Age, and uh, uh, Zen felt right to me. Just, I think, because being Japanese, there's a stronger connection there. Um, and uh, when I was reading Dogen's writing, Dogen is the founder of this school of Soto Zen. Um, and it, this is one of his uh, very famous quotes. <clears throat> to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be actualized by myriad things. Um, I didn't understand that when I read it first time at all. And it uh, took me uh, a long time and read many different uh, 
books. And through my own experience, uh, there was a time it clicked with me, you know. So why does he say, you know, um, studying the Buddha ways to study the self if you, if you have to study, if you have to forget the self anyway? Well, I can understand that the, the teaching of Buddhism, um, and they say the truth is that there is no self, right? Um, it's the emptiness. Everything is emptiness, and there is no depending, dependent entity that exists in our body. And there is no really self. Um, it's an illusion. So I can understand why he says to forget the self. I thought, oh, this is maybe what he's talking about. But then why do you have to study the self? And, and you can replace this word self with ego. Um, ego is, um, is this sense of me, right? Me and my things. And, and if you really look closely, um, well, everyone has different identity, but it changes over time, right? There are things you think you don't, it, it doesn't change. Um, but, you know, such as opinions, like we are all, um, many of us are identified with opinions, and that's, you know, this creates this sense of me. You know, whatever important that you delve your identity from becomes part of this feeling of me, right, and, and my stories. And often that's the troublemaker, right? Um, and me comes with a pride, and that's, uh, that's a simple thing to identify with. And, um, and through my practice, what I experience over and over, I encounter difficulties, and then I'm hit with this paradox. Um, Zen practice is, in a way, it's a very paradoxical experience because we don't want to suffer, so we, you know, enter a spiritual path like Zen. And I think a lot of people are attracted to this path because maybe. You know, uh, many people don't feel fulfilled, right? Some of you may have a very prestigious jobs, maybe a very good company, and yet something is lacking, right? It's, there's always a sense of incomplete. Um, in the Buddhism, that's called suffering. Even though the word suffering is such a big word, it also includes this sense of incompleteness in, and uh, unsatisfactory, right? So, you know, sometimes you hear about the people, um, in, in the famous people, um, they have a huge pride, and they hit the peak of their career, and then inevitably their career starts going downhill, and most, most people, and then their pride gets hit hard. And some of them, if they are conscious, 
that suffering itself becomes a vehicle for the awakening. So this is the paradox I'm experiencing in my practice too. And I see that in other practitioners as well. So this is something I wanted to talk about. For instance, you know, public speech like this, I'm, I, I've never been good at it and I, I get nervous. And that's like a, so when you're really engaged with the practice, every single action that you engage with can be a material that you can use as a means to, to wake up. You know, what is happening here? What's going on in me right now? Right. So this is why it is so important to study the self. Studying the self, um, in my opinion, it begins with studying the ego. And in this context, I like to use the word ego and how the ego creates suffering. And I think most of human suffering comes from that. And um, I believe maybe 90%, I don't know what the exact number is, but 90% of our human suffering come from our own mind. Of course, there are you know, um, uncontrollable events that happen to us, uh, such as natural disasters you know, or accidents, and uh, causes physical pain. But I'm, I'm talking about more about psychological pain, right? Uh, things such as uncertainty in the future, what's going to happen, um, or losing someone, or the fear of losing someone, or fear of losing job, or something that happened in the past. Right? All these things, the stories that we identified with, creates this illusory sense of self. Right? This is my story. And it is so crucial to see how you are suffering by it. And, and if you can consciously suffer, that can be um, the beginning of awakening. And so in the uh, uh, essential practice of Soto Zen, it's, it's called a shikantaza. A shikantaza literally means just sitting. And um, it's so difficult, right? And maybe it's not for everyone. I think it's easier for people to just begin with focusing attention on something. It can be breathing uh, or feeling the sensation of the gravity you know, on your legs and, you know, your hips and, and also uh, breathing, breathing, sensation, sounds. And focusing on these sensations help you to shift your attention away from the mind. And the Shikantaza practice, eventually you let go of any kind of doing and just simply sit. It's a letting go of effort to control and manipulate uh, your experience.
So in a way, it is effortless, but it does take effort to just keep sitting on a cushion. So I would like to explore with everyone, and this is something um, you can do within yourself. I don't think it's helpful to do a small group uh, because it's such an intimate experience and, and it feels very private, right? It's about your identity. So um, just ask yourself, who, how do you identify yourself? If someone's asking you, who are you? Right? The first thing may be your name, obviously, and whatever you have on your passport, right, information. And then you might say, oh, I'm from so-and-so, or I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, you know, I am Japanese, American, or, um, you know, which school I went to, what I studied, how many siblings I have, what kind of group of friends I have. Just, um, this is uh, more like a mind activity. It's a conventional way of identifying yourself. So just let's sit for a minute and think about it. Okay, so now let's go over whatever that you identified with and so instead of, you know, trying to explore who we are, uh, which may be impossible <laughs> to find, but you can start with finding what 
what you are not. So, obviously, thought. Right? Most of us find our identities in our thoughts. This sense of self is generated by the mind. But if you notice in your own experience, there is a thought and there's an awareness. And this is something that you can experience in your meditation. Even though you, you may try not to think, your thoughts bubble up. And what is enabling you to see the thought? How are your thoughts known? So there's something there before thoughts. So something makes it possible for you to, to notice thoughts. So what is it if you are not thoughts? So, in a way, who you really are cannot be thought, right? You are not who you think you are. When I, you know, when I read that sentence first time, I didn't really understand it. But when it clicked with me, it was a big aha moment. Right. And same thing as the beliefs. You know, saying I'm a Buddhist, I'm a Japanese, I'm an American, I'm a Democrat, Republican, whatever it is. They are similar thoughts. And then there's a feeling, feelings. I am angry, I'm happy, I'm cold, I'm hot. There's always awareness prior to these feelings. And these feelings come and go. Personalities. Every human has a unique personality, enlightened or not enlightened. Everyone has personality. But personalities are just unique ways through which life expresses itself. All of these things are objects of perception which awareness perceives. 
but none of these objects can tell us about the perceiver. Now, let's look deeper. When you say, I am aware of this, I am aware of that, does that mean you possess awareness? Do you possess your awareness? Can you honest, honestly say that you have awareness? which means that you and awareness are separate. Now, we can look at our own experience right here. Does it have a name? Does it have an age? Does it have a color? Does it have a gender? Some of you may think, what's the point of doing this, right? It's not going to make my life any better. Um, And I stayed at the Tassahara uh, Zen Monastery for five years. And, and um, when I went there, I was so excited, you know. So having this understanding that the ego creates suffering. So my thought was like, okay, I'm going to let go of my ego. I'm going to, you know, leave my petty opinions and my pride and enter the gate. And I'm going to just say yes to whatever I'm told to do. Just let go of my pride. That's what I need to do, right? And it didn't work very well. <laughs> what I found is that the ego is a trickster. Ego is a shapeshifter. And whatever thoughts you are identified with, it creates new sense of self. 
So what I was trying to do was um, I had a, I imagined uh, this uh, image of what good practitioner looked like. Right? Uh, I was trying to be a good monk, a perfect monk. Um, there, already I'm f I, I, I was failing because I was creating this image and comparing myself to other people. And when I make a mistake, I was so uh, disappointed and angry at myself. And when I saw other people making mistakes, um, I would judge them. So it's always hand in hand. If you're, if you're judging other people, you're doing the same, about the same to yourself. Um, if you're really honest, and if you pay close attention, you, you can catch it. You know. So when I made a mistake, I get upset. Sometimes I was so upset. You know, um, I was trying to be really good. Um, my attendance rate was like 120%. <laughs> I would go to Zen, Zendo earlier than anybody, and I would sit, right? And even break time, I would go there and sit. Um, and if I make mistakes, I would get really upset. And I, and I thought that's how it should be. But then I was suffering, you know, and the, and the sensation of suffering itself is really the same thing as making different kinds of mistakes at a different job, you know. So this is when I started realizing how important it is to make mistakes. And mistakes, if you, if you consciously make mistakes, it can turn your life around, right? Because we are taught to not make mistakes and because we don't want to feel these feelings that comes after making mistakes. You feel embarrassed, right? Um, uh, you feel defeated, you know? Um, you feel lesser than other people. There, with the teaching of Dharma, you know that's not true. It has nothing to do with who you are. But usually, our ego gets hit. And, you know, that's the wonderful part of practice in the residential practice. Uh, easy things like hitting a bell in, in, in morning service. Um, Um, there's a practice called Duan Ryo. It's a, it's a group of people who orchestrate the uh, ceremonies, right? Like Doan is a person hit behind a big bell and hit. And if you make mistakes, you're right there. You can't hide. Right? You're so exposed. And, and someone hit the drum off beat, right? Everyone look at you. <laughs> or if you're a kokyo, which is the uh, lead chanter, and if you get nervous, your, your voice might get shaky, you know, you're so exposed. And, and the, the beautiful thing about this is that, uh, uh, I mean, no one gets hurt, <laughs> right? Who cares? But then it's, it, it's, your pride gets hurt, right? Um, so that's, that's why it's such a wonderful practice. And you can do this same thing in your daily life, right? You have uh, regular jobs, maybe, or you go to school. But 
as you, you know, it's inevitable. Whatever it is, maybe you're walking down the street and someone looks at you in a funny way and, and immediately the voice in their mind said something, right? Make comments. Oh, the person must think I'm strange or, or oh, whatever, the, our mind always, um, we, uh, the mind has a tendency to make, make up stories and we are identified with it. So our practice is really, is to be conscious and, and the breathing practice can be helpful. And simply step back from all these voices in your mind and not believing it. You know, so you know, there's uh, uh, maybe some of you know there's a new age teacher called Ekatole, and before getting to Zen, I got into Zen. Um, I read his books, and and that was a that was really helpful. I, th I feel like his uh, explanation on human ego is, is just just right on, and how the ego operates in us and creates a sense of self, and how the ego creates suffering, and also the suffering can help you burn up the ego. It's and that's that's another paradox. So I have excer excerpt from his book called uh, New Earth. And uh, it's a bit long, but I think it's worth it. So uh, please bear with me. And he was talking about children growing up, making mistakes, and, and, and suffer. And he says, <clears throat> wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it be wonderful if you could spare them from all suffering? No, it wouldn't. They would not evolve as human beings and they would remain shallow, identified with the external form of things. Suffering drives you deeper. The paradox is that suffering is caused by identification with form and erodes identification with form. A lot of it is caused by the ego, although eventually suffering destroys the ego, but not until you suffer consciously. Humanity is destined to go beyond suffering, but not in the way the ego thinks. One of the ego's many erroneous assumptions, one of its many deluded thoughts is, I should not have to suffer. Suffering has a noble purpose. The evolution of consciousness and the burning up the ego. The man on the cross is an archetypal image. He is every man and every woman. As long as you resist suffering, it is a slow process because the resistance creates more ego to burn up. When you accept suffering, however, there is an acceleration of that process, which is brought about by the fact that you suffer consciously. You can accept suffering for yourself 
or you can accept it for someone else, such as your child or parent. In the midst of conscious suffering, there is already that transmutation. The fire of suffering becomes the light of consciousness. The ego says, I shouldn't have to suffer. And that thought makes you suffer so much more. It is, a, it is a distortion of the truth, which is always paradoxical. The truth is that you need to say yes to suffering before you can transcend it. So, maybe some of you can relate to that experience. I, um, my father passed away about 10, 11 years ago. Um, I had a difficulty growing up with him. But there was a time he mellowed quite a bit, and usually that's when he became ill. It's quite interesting, and I was seeing other people as well, so-called stubborn people, and they can be difficult to work with or difficult to live with. And then they go through uh, really difficult times and, and then their ego shrinks. And, you know, it can, it can happen to um, happen in a process with aging as well. You can't fight aging, right? No one can. And so you see them in a hospital, on a bed. Um, but then sometimes, you know, uh, when they get better, and then the ego comes back again. And, uh, yeah. yeah. That was funny for me, like, oh, my, my dad mellowed quite a bit. And then, oh, never mind. <laughs> And now, so we talked about, you know, who we are not. And, and who we are is really not something that we can comprehend. It's, n it's not something that can be thought because it's, it's the awareness that precedes thoughts. And awareness is not something that we can comprehend by thinking. And in Zen tradition, you know, there are two major sects uh, that are well-known. One is Soto Zen, which is this San Francisco Zen center belongs to. And another is Rinzai. And they are known for uh, practice with uh, inquiry. And in Japanese, it's called a koan. 
And usually these koans are uncomprehensible. Um, it's not something that you can just answer by thinking. And the masters give uh, their disciples uh, these koans and, and the students you know, um, just live with a question for years and sometimes decades, right? Um, I'm not going to, you know, talk about that tonight, but there is a very distinct Zen master that I found fascinating, and uh, his name was Basui Tokusho, a Japanese Rinzai Zen master, and his approach was very simple. Basically, he would, he, he would uh, give a question to his students. He says, just ask yourself, who am I? That's it. And if you keep, this, keep asking this question all the time in the waking hours and, and meditate, he says, it can take you all the way to enlightenment. Um, I don't want to confuse you with these two different traditions. I just wanted to introduce and maybe spark in a, a curiosity and um, interest. And it's just uh, his intensity is something that fascinates me. So I would like to introduce a, a passage. And this is excerpt from uh, the book called um, Three Pillars of Zen. It's a classic Zen book. It says, at work, at the rest, never stop trying to realize who it is that hears. He's talking about the sound, hearing the sound. <clears throat> Even though your questioning becomes almost unconscious, you won't find the one who hears and all your efforts will come to naught. Yet sounds can be heard, so question yourself to an even profounder level. At last, every vestige of self-awareness will disappear and you will feel like a cloudless sky. Within yourself, you will find no I, nor will you discover anyone who hears. This mind is like the void, yet it hasn't a single spot that can be called empty. This state is often mistaken for self-realization, but continue to ask yourself even more intensely. Now, who is it that hears? If you bore and bore into this question, oblivious to anything else, even this feeling of voidness will vanish and you will be unaware of anything. Total darkness will prevail. Don't stop here, but keep asking with all your strength, what is it that hears? Only when you have completely exhausted the questioning will the question burst. Now you will feel like a man, you will feel like a person come back from the dead. This is true realization. You will see the Buddhas of all the universes face to face and ancestors past and present. 
test yourself with this koan. A monk asked Joshua, what is the meaning of Bodhidharma coming to China? Joshua replied, the oak tree in the garden. Should this koan leave you with the slightest doubt, you need to resume questioning. What is it that hears? So, this is one question you can do, you can ask yourself when you meditate. Who is this that's hearing these sounds? Right? And who is this that is seeing what's seen? And who is this that's feeling what's felt? And if you do this questioning intensely, it can put you in single-minded focusness. And if you keep asking, it feels more right to say, what is this that's hearing these sounds? Why don't we sit for 10 minutes and then we can have a group discussion. <laughs> 